in order to hear and see, you have to want to hear and see. This is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are our friends Eric. Good morning. And Karen. Yes. And Tracy. Good morning. Good morning, guys. Oh, it's, uh, well, for us, it's the day after Christmas. We've gotten, <laughs> I've gotten through. I, I hate, I hate when people are like, oh, I got through the holidays. I love Christmas. I, and I'm always, honestly, Christmas Day is sort of a letdown for me because it's like, well, it's now it's over and that stinks. But actually, I get to go spend time with my parents still today, and still get get a little more Christmas going here because I, uh, I don't know. I really, I really enjoy it. I like the lights. I like the music. I like the, I like to some degree. I like the busyness, but I'm glad that doesn't last forever. But uh, there's just a lot that goes on in it, and so the season of it is is enjoyable. And when it's over, it's it's sort of like when you finish a really good book and you don't want to put it down yet. You're like you kind of don't want to just back up and reread a few pages or something because you're just not quite ready for it to be done. But, uh, you know, we got to move on. Time moves on. We're heading into the new year. Of course, as you're listening to this, it'll be several weeks already into the new year. So um, hopefully things are going well for you there. And uh, I don't know, maybe you have some goals for the coming year. Maybe you've got some uh, some hopes and dreams and whatnot. And, uh, you know, we'll just see. We got to see how it plays out. Got to see if 2022. What are we into? 2022 now? My That's car hard. still doesn't fly. <laughs> right. I know. Oh, what I... That was supposed to happen in, in 2015, and that didn't happen. Oh, I thought it was 2000. I've been waiting for this since I was a kid, but I check every January 1st, and the stupid thing still drives on the road on tires yeah. that need to be replaced and burns fuel. So No, according to Back to the Future, we were supposed to have flying cars by 2015, and that oh, hasn't happened. I don't know about that. You know, I know you don't, because you're an uncultured swine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Matt comes out swinging day after uh, Christmas. Somebody still needs a nap. The Christmas spirit. <laughs> yeah, no flying cars. Flying cars would be, I don't know. Flying cars would probably be terrifying. But that's a whole different, that's a whole different ball of wax there. Because I don't think we want everybody out there flying. <laughs> that would be bad. Alrighty, well, we are talking about the book of Jeremiah this week. We actually started Jeremiah last week. We got the first three chapters in. And what we were seeing is, well, it's a lot of a similar, it's a lot of a similar message that God has been giving to the people of Israel, well, like forever. But now Jeremiah, he's specifically talking in the time of Josiah and on, which means that the nation of the northern kingdom of Israel, separate from Judah, is gone. It's been taken away by the Assyrians. And so so this message now is being given specifically to Judah. And when you hear a lot of the message being given to them, it's a lot of the same that was being said to Israel before they were carried away. And it's very clear that Judah, even though they had more kings that did right than wrong, well, at least they had some kings that did right instead of wrong, but they're not out of the woods. They're not. They're really still not in a in a great place. And don't you think they would have learned from watching Israel? Well, you know, I mean, haven't we thought they would have learned? <laughs> you know, from from all through the history. You know, ever since the Exodus. Since well, yeah, because 
when you look at four, it starts out like what we've been reading just here recently. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. the last three or four weeks, it's return to me. Put away uh-huh. your abominations. It's like, oh, here we go again. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no, same, same appeal, you know, but it goes, some, you know, and to me, it just goes unheeded or isn't followed through with. Yeah, I think here in the Old Testament, we see it in people don't see what they don't want to see. Mm. They will come up with any excuse to not see what they don't want to see. You can pick almost any slice of life that you want to that we all deal with on a daily basis. And generally speaking, there's a better way to do it and a not better way to do it. And there are some who struggle with. Like, okay, I know the right way to do it, but I'm, I'm not, you know, not able to pull it together in this direction. And then there's another subset of folks who just, they won't see it. They'll come up with every reason under the sun to not do the thing. And there are plenty of people who will tell them, yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, let's all do this together. I don't care if it's, if it's diet or religion or sexuality or politics or you name it. We... We can find a way to not do the thing. Uh, and we see Israel here. And this Jeremiah, as we go into this, he he calls out the those who aid and abet this. It's not just that the people are just kind of wandering um, uh, aimlessly through this. They are they are being aided in this by false prophets, by leaders. By people who are telling them, oh, yeah, 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 you know, you're totally doing the right thing here. And so Jeremiah, as I read this this week, is a lot more pointed. You know, some of the other authors, uh, Isaiah and so on, we've been looking at, kind of give their message poetically. And it's kind of looking through like, well, what are they kind of getting at here and here? A lot of times, Jeremiah, he just he just takes it all off. There's no poetry to it. You know, Mm. there's. Maybe, maybe the arrangement of it, but there's no mystery as to what he's saying. He just comes right out and says a bunch of very challenging things in in our reading today, four through nine, which explains why Jeremiah at times was a very unpopular prophet in his day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is very straightforward where, you know, because we've heard a lot of the similar uh, similar warnings from from Isaiah and other prophets. But Jeremiah really is just really kind of laying it down it's it's very very clear what he's saying and you know, there's not a lot of interpretation having to be put in here you know and i wonder if too just over time it's kind of like what eric said that you know what if i and i don't know if i wrote down sugar coating but i don't know if it's necessarily the other authors sugar coated it i just think they did it more eloquently maybe like mm-hmm. like he was saying poetically you know they put you know, they they built it up, and I don't think people got it. And, you know, sometimes... Oh, I don't know. Have... I don't know, Tracy. I, I think they just didn't want to hear it. Yeah. No, I... You know, and I, I could say that, too. It's like, I think, you know, at this point, sometimes the gloves just have to come off, and you just have to put it out there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like, you're not getting it. But we've said that before. They just... They don't... They don't want to do it. They don't right. get it. They don't want to do it. They want to move past it. They want to do what's just for self. And I think that's that's what I have highlighted, just self. 
don't want to get it. Nope, they don't want to yeah. get it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Well, the books, the chapter, I mean, starts out with a message we've heard a lot from God. And it's really, I mean, for, I, I'm, I'm starting to see it more as the, like the whole message of Scripture as a whole, kind of. If you will return, if you will put away your abominations, then you shall not be moved. If you will do these things. Uh, Eric talks a lot about the if-then statements in the Bible. And and this is definitely one of those those cases. And here it almost seems like um, there's almost a literal a piece to it here. Because if you will return, you won't be moved. I mean, in this case, it's almost like if you re- return, then you won't be moved away from the land that you've been living in. If you will return, then you won't you won't have all this stuff taken away from you. But also, I mean, if you'll return to God, you won't be moved. I mean, there's a figurative sense to that too, where if you if you can if you will stick with God, then nobody is going to be able to change your mind and get you to to follow these false things. Uh, and he uses some figurative language about circumcising their hearts. Um, I think we've heard that phrase before, but the, you know, the idea of getting your heart where it needs to be and using that language of of the physical things that God had talked to them about doing that was supposed to teach them lessons and that they weren't, and they weren't getting. Now they're, they, they're getting warned here though, because they have some literal disaster coming. They're told, get ready, take refuge, be sorrowful because God's anger isn't being turned back this time. Their political and their religious leaders are going to be astonished by what is going to happen. Uh, you know, we've all read, forward enough to know that we're talking about Babylon coming in to take Judah. And what a surprise. I mean, really, I mean, it shouldn't be a surprise, but it's kind of a surprise because they've watched Israel be taken away. And probably I would imagine going through their minds is, well, we must be doing okay then because they're, they got taken away, but God protected us. We must be God's protected people. And so we're going to be just fine. And God is telling them through Jeremiah, mm, no, no, you need to get ready because it's coming down. It's coming for you, too, and it's going to be just as bad. Maybe, you know, yeah, just as bad. Maybe not worse, but just as bad. Yeah, let's, let's, let's uh, you move forward here because mm-hmm. he, all, all of what you're saying, Matt, is definitely laid out by Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. All of these things. And Jeremiah, I think, maybe, I don't want to say more than, but more memorably to me, talks about the heart, about what the heart is doing and not doing. And there's there's a lot in, in here that we see other places in the Bible of 4.13, where it says, Behold, he comes up like clouds, his chariots like the whirlwind, his horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are ruined. And then he calls it, he says, Oh, Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil. Mm-hmm. And talks about your thoughts. Well, this coming up like the clouds, again, like so many other chapters and places, um, we're like, well, exactly what is he talking about in, in, in point in time here? Because it kind of slips effortlessly between their immediate future and the distant future. Because when he talks about behold, he comes in the clouds, it sounds a lot like Matthew 24, 30, mm-hmm. uh, Acts 1, 11, and 2 Thessalonians 4, 6, talking about the second coming. 
And then we see a phrase here in verse 23, where Jeremiah says, I looked on the earth and behold, it was without form and void. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, this is this is not just talking about a Babylonian, you know, invasion, because mm-hmm. there there's other word pictures he gives us here, which are pretty graphic um, about what that literal attack is going to look like in its aftermath. This one is way beyond that like this is this is well the last time we saw without form and void was genesis one Mm -hmm. yeah this sounded to me like we're talking in time stuff where eventually eventually everything is going to have to get completely torn down in order to be rebuilt like completely torn down and i guess if we want to put that in the context of Judah and compare it to the context of end times, the people of Judah are going to get pulled away. Jerusalem's going to get trashed. And eventually some of the people of Judah will be able to come back. You could, you could kind of uh, maybe compare that to end times where God's people will be pulled away. The world will be destroyed, made. How does it put it without form and, you know, void and without form or however it put it, but, it's, it'll get torn down and then it can be rebuilt and then the people can come back. It is definitely talking about very, very drastic measures that have to be taken. Yeah. With And as we'll read going through, um, seeing just how badly Judah was way off the mark. They were so far off the mark, thinking they were doing great. And, and here it's like God is saying, I got I to gotta start over. Just completely start over. But, you know, I think it's back to what we were saying before, though. If you look at um, 22, to me, that's that was almost like a rebuke. You know, you can't you call you call an adult a silly child that they don't understand. I think that's to the point of almost like maybe slapping their intellect to wake them up because this is what's coming. I think, you know, I think he was just as a prophet at the end of his rope. Well, yeah, I mean, certainly, you know, when you've, when you're one of many to do evil, it's like, you know, they're silly children. They're foolish. It's like, what more can you say without constant? Worse worse than having. So, so let's see. They have no understanding. They're skilled in doing evil and they do not know how to do good. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He went for it. My yeah. people are fools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, unless unless we think that this is like the only message being given, though, you get into, into chapter five and there is, I don't know, I guess I'll use the word reprieve here, but there is some, um, there's like a caveat to this. Like, yeah, okay, everything's going to have to get torn down. Everything's going to have to get destroyed. Every it it has to be corrected. But verse one is telling us that God is going to pardon anyone who executes judgment and seeks truth. So it's still not too late for people to be saved, to be, to, you know, to find some comfort here, to find that there is something besides just despair, because even yes, God is going to have to do these things. He still is looking for people who will follow his 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 instructions and people yeah. who are looking for actual truth. Yes, and 
that's a thing that Jeremiah gets into here in five and six, uh, and especially seven. So I don't want to get too far ahead. Is that there is a difference, and it's important to recognize this as we're reading, is those who are truly looking for change and those who give it lip service. And God does not see those as one and the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just saying that there's just too many people that are swearing falsely. You know, they claim they claim to follow God, but not really. I thought it was interesting in five where you see you see Jeremiah's own human assessment of who he automatically thinks would be receptive to the word of God. And I thought that was interesting. Like here he is, he's, you know, he's a prophet of God. He's out there doing God's work. And yet he still has this human um, perspective of who ought to be the most receptive. So like in, in verse three, he says, um, Lord, do your, do your eyes not look for truth? You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. I thought, these are only the poor. They are foolish, for they do not know the way of the Lord, the requirements of their God. So I will go to the leaders and speak to them. Surely they know the way of the Lord and the requirements of their God. But with one accord, they too had broken off the yoke and, took it, and torn off the bonds. Right? So... I, I thought that that was interesting. Like, here yeah. he is, you know, delivering God's word upon God's instruction, and yet he still has assumptions about who will be receptive and who will not. Mm. And he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. The, the excuse that he wants to give, well, it's because they're poor, right? They're caught up in the cares of their of this life, and so, you know, I'll go to the leaders. Surely the leaders would be receptive. Uh-uh. Mm. Yeah, and that's the and that's where as he moves forward in the chapter to that point is 12 and 13 of uh, chapter 5. They have spoken falsely of the Lord and have said he will do nothing, no disaster will come upon us, nor shall we see sword or famine. The prophets will become wind. The word is not in them. Thus shall it be done to them. And then, you know, in 14, this is kind of, uh, this shows up once or twice in, in Jeremiah's experience. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, the Lord, the God of hosts, quote, because you have spoken this word, behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire. This is to Jeremiah. And this people would, and the fire shall consume them. So this God is specifically speaking out in 12 and 13 against um, the people. And here it's not specially broken out who they are. Well, prophets. And uh, later we see it in seven, chapter seven more, is um, people who are saying, oh, it's all going to be just fine. And there have always been false prophets and priests. That is a counterfeit of the real. Just pick any topic and there's always... There's always somebody who who will say, oh, no, 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 this is totally okay. And they are in leadership roles at times. And um, that's not okay with God. Yeah, in verse 30 and 31, it talks about, um, the way it puts it, is an astonishing and horrible thing with prophets who prophesy falsely, priests who are ruling by their own power, and the people love it this way. Yeah. This is, this is part of the problem. 
is not just that the leaders are 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 being terrible, but that the people are perfectly fine with it. They are they have no problem with it. They just go along with it. You know, do they go along with it because it's convenient? Do they go along with it because they actually like it? Does that matter? The point is they're going along with it. And that's that's awful. Did you guys notice the um, in verse 21 of chapter five? um, Hear this, you foolish and senseless people who have eyes but do not see, who have ears but do not hear. This rang a couple of bells to me from the New Testament. Jesus would often get to the end of a of a story. A parable yeah. and he would say let him who has ears hear right mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. you get all the way to revelation and the church of laodicea which is famous for its complacency says um you know i counsel you to buy from me salve to put on your eyes so you can see so there's been like this this Maybe it starts off unintentional. Maybe it starts off as cognitive dissonance and like just a slight turning away. Like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to see that. That's that's uncomfortable. And I don't know how to resolve it without changing myself. And so I'm just going to not look and I'm just going to not listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If in order to hear and see, you have to want to hear and see. You can... You, you you can listen to a song and not really hear it. You know, you can you can have music playing and it's just kind of noise in the background that you tune out or you can stop and really pay attention and learn the lyrics and, 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 and whatnot and learn the tune or it's just noise. It's just noise. You know, it's just a matter of are you going to pay attention to it? Do you want to? Do you really want to know? it? Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a. Well, well, uh. A, a good uh, a good thing to point out there, Karen. Thank you. Oh, let's see. Jeremiah six. Now, I mean, it just keeps getting more and more uh, um, in your face. I guess I might say, where there is there is destruction coming from the north. Verse two it says, "I've likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman." This got me thinking of a lot of times in Bible prophecy when a woman is is used to depict the church, and I have a feeling this is kind of what's happening here. This this delicate woman, this is the people; these are God's people. Yeah, um, he says it too. The daughter of Zion. Yeah, the daughter of Zion. I have likened the daughter of Zion to a lovely and delicate woman. And so that's, I think that's a little lesson we could take away for for future reference as we uh, get into other Bible prophecies. But just remembering that a woman is often used to to depict either the church, God's people, the church, or sometimes a false church. But uh, a woman is often used to depict a church. Let's see, uh, verse 8, I have a note here. Be instructed, O Jerusalem, lest my soul depart from you. He would rather see his people listen and learn than have to give this corrective measure that he's got to do. Like, I would, you know, if you would, if you, if, if you would listen, if you would be instructed, which, you know, like we're talking about, you can't just hear the words. You've got to internalize them. You've got to take them on. But if you'd be instructed, then this stuff could be, uh, could be turned away, but that's not what's happening. God would rather see that, but it's not what's happening. Um, he says, "Who God says, who can I talk to? Nobody is even capable of hearing me right now." And oh, because... I thought that, that was I thought that was Jeremiah expressing his frustration. Oh, it is. Hang on a second. 
No, it is Jeremiah. Okay, so in verse 9, it's God talking, and then the quote marks end. And then in verse 10, like I, I kind of had that conversation too when I was reading that with myself. To whom can I speak and give warning? Who will listen to me? Their ears are closed, so they cannot hear. The word of the Lord is offensive to them. They find no pleasure in it. But mm-hmm. I am full of the wrath of the Lord, and I cannot hold it in. Yeah. That's, no, that's cool. Yeah, I hadn't noticed that the, the, the lack of the, the quotation marks there. So thank yeah. you for that. Because, yeah, so that is Jeremiah. It's he's like, at the end of his rope. Yeah, who am I going to talk to? Who am I? And he's you know, been he, doing it for 10 seconds. Think how God feels. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Jeremiah knows he's got a message to, he, to, to give. He knows that. He knows this message has to get put out, but he's like, who's even going to listen? What's the point? It's gets kind of how it sounds to me. Is like, what's the point? Nobody's, none of these people are going to hear it anyway. But I guess you got to say it because if you don't say it, then people can go back and go, well, nobody told us, you know, even though God's been saying it for generations. I think he's still saying it today and in, in uh, the late or the mid 2000s. Yeah, I can't hold it out anymore. I'm pouring out my fury. So he's finally, you know, I'm at the end of my rope. I just can't. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let loose. Somebody should have warned him he was only in chapter six of his own book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're going to peak too soon, Jeremiah. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets into it in 13, and he's his. He's everyone is greedy for unjust gain. Mm-hmm. And from prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Oof. They have healed. So I'll, we'll get into 14 here in just a second. But I want to point out that here are the sins of, of Israel and Judah. They were fairly encompassing. It wasn't just one thing. It was, yes, they had idols. And yes, they worshiped the sun and the stars. And, and yes, they, they um, struggled with, uh, I don't know that they struggled with, but they, uh, in, in back in, in chapter 5, 7, and 8, they dealt with sexual immorality and and things of that nature. And here we're talking about economic uh, unjust gain. Isaiah says a lot about that. I think Amos, Amos did too. And so this isn't just a, a one-point indictment against these people. They are just across the board unhinged. They're, they're doing their own thing. And unfortunately, they have... They, who I, I believe is um, prophet and priest from, from uh, verse 13, have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Basically saying, you know what, it's all going to be just fine. It's going to be just fine. And Jeremiah is saying, no, no, this is not going to be just fine. That reminds me of the... Um the prophetic text from the new Testament that says, uh, when they, when they shall cry peace, peace, then the end shall come upon them with sudden destruction. I, I suspect we're going to loop back around to all of this and 15, 15 is God getting frustrated. You know, are they ashamed of their detestable conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. Yeah. They're just out there digging for themselves, working hard. Don't care who they hurt. Yikes. Yeah. They're just refusing. They're refusing to walk in the, uh, I have in quotes here, old paths where the good way is. That's like, it's like you're walking down the street and you see the sign that says this way to wherever you're going. And you go, eh, I'm going to go this way. It's, 
know, yeah, sure, that's the way to go. But I, I'm going to go this way, and then later I'm going to complain. I'm I'm wonder why I can't get there. Uh, verse 19 brought out uh, a phrase here. It said the fruit of their thoughts, and that it was interesting to me because it seemed like almost a counter to the fruit of the spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk later about the fruit of the spirit, which um, I'd have to actually look up to remember all of the things. But you know, it's goodness, charity, kindness, loving. You know, loving kindness, these kind of things. And that's not what what uh, what's happening here. They're getting this calamity because they are they're eating the fruit of their own thoughts. They're they, they're not experiencing that fruit of the spirit, which, you know, that's a phrase they wouldn't know yet. But but we can look back on that. They've been rejecting God's law ever since forever. I mean, they didn't even get out of, you know, they barely got out of Egypt before they started that. This- it's kind of an, there's an interesting balance point here. So in 19, hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people. Okay, so I, God, that's who's talking. I will bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. So that that's kind of interesting because it's like, is it a punishment or is it a, or is it a consequence? You see what I'm getting at? Like part of it sounds yeah. like God is going to do it. And part of it sounds like it is the result of what they are doing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I I, I kind of paused. I actually underlined that text. And because I, I had to re, like kind of stop and think about that. Well, that is uh, that is a pretty good debate anyway, just among, among these things. You know, does God punish or does God just allow circumstances to take their place and i mean it seems like we've seen times in the past where god actively reached out in a punishing gesture or at least that's the way it looks to us and then there's other times where he just says okay i'm gonna step back now and you're gonna see what happens when uh when you go your own way when you insist on doing things your own way yeah. And and so it's a it's a it's it is an interesting debate of whether or not God actively punishes or whether He just allows consequence to take place. And I don't know. There's a it's an there's an interesting balance there. There's a delicate. It it's a it speaks a lot to to God's character and trying to understand it. And I mean, I guess until we can talk to Him face to face and say, Hey, why did you do this? Why did you let that happen? Maybe we won't fully understand. There's very few times when when the individual has no opportunity to choose their own side in that, though, whether it's God's reaching out and actively punishing in the case of, I'll say, the flood. This was God saying, I'm going to do this. It, it's mm-hmm. going to be me. Do it. This isn't a natural consequence of things. I'm going to do it. But he provided a way out. You could get in yeah. the ark, you know, and. And Noah, Noah invited people for roughly 120 years as he built this thing. It wasn't like they didn't have any options. And so whether it's inevitable that Babylon is going to invade from the north, if God steps back and says, well, I'm not going to stir them up, but I'll let them come in. I'll just step back or I will stir them up and make them come in. Either way, people have an opportunity to have a choice as to what they're going to do, which is why Isaiah keeps prophesying, even though the people over and over have said, we don't want to hear it, um, you know, those kinds of things. This is that we have opportunity to have choice, active choice in our destiny. It doesn't mean that we're not caught up in um, in the corporate 
punishment of uh, of a group. Because uh, flash forward, we have Daniel, Jet, you know, uh, and his three friends who were taken captive to Babylon. You know, they were very faithful to God. There's no doubt about that. And yet they were caught up and received part of the punishment that was due to the sins of other people. Mm -hmm. And so it's a complicated thing. But what I'm trying to get across here is that we God is always inviting. I mean, right here in Jeremiah, people to turn around. He's saying, look, you I want you to turn around. I would heal you. You know, it's a short version of that. Mm -hmm. He would. Verse 20 was interesting to me, talking about, I don't remember exactly the way he put it, but basically sacrifices that are meant to appease God are not acceptable. He can't be bought. You can't can't just offer God a sacrifice and think that he's just going to turn away now because he can't be bought. He's going to do what he has deemed right no matter what offering you make up other than like he said before that your heart, if you'll turn your heart, then, then he can turn away. But I mean, here it's, it's like Eric was talking about this corporate punishment. It's gone so far now that this, this nation has to have correction. You know, but I I was thinking of that too, when I was reading it, that even during the Exodus, he was telling them that, you know what? It's not the sacrifices. Mm-hmm. It's not all the offerings. That's not. I'm looking at your heart. Yeah, but they still have not got it. Yeah, no, they haven't. For generations, they haven't. So moving on to chapter seven, then we get. It sounds like Jeremiah is like standing in the gate of the temple. People are coming in for whatever worship purposes uh, they might be coming for, and it would seem that the temple has been well i we've read about some of the ways they have been desecrating the temple and i think we so see some allusion to it here again in this week's reading that the temple has not been being used the way god wanted it to be used for a long time and they've just brought so many different things in and people would come to the temple for worship whatever kind of worship they were inventing i don't know but they're, but that's what they're doing. They're coming for worship. And he says, if you'll amend your ways, then I will let you live in the land. Uh, this would be, you know, God speaking through him. But tell him this. If you will amend your ways, then you can stay. If you'll change, you know, I promised your forefathers this land. I told them I would give this land forever. And I'll let you stay if you will, if you'll change your ways. It's a, it's a, it's a conditional reward. It's, it's another if then. If you'll do this. If you'll keep your this part of the covenant that I gave to your fathers and I've given to you, then I will uphold this part. I think in here in Jeremiah 7, 1 through 10, really is a summary, and he goes over it many, many times. I saw this theme come out here as well as elsewhere, is that they behave and they say, that their basically their heritage and their location will save them. It's like a good luck charm. It's like we're we're Jews. We got this. You know, we're we're in the temple, which is a, a strange phrase that shows up in verse four. Do not trust in these deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. The temple of the Lord. You're kind of like, yeah. what is that? It's yeah. 
apparently it was some sort of chant or some sort of saying or some sort of something of that where they believed that the temple of the Lord was like, I don't know, a, a rabbit's foot, you know, a good luck charm. I was like, oh, as long as we got this, we're good. And we saw this earlier where they sent the Ark of the Covenant into battle, like a good luck charm. Mm-hmm. It's like, yay, we have this. We're undefeated. And God's like, no, that is not what it's about. And I see also an echo here of um, of what they say and then what they do. Because Jeremiah calls him out and he says, um, look, I expect justice. Don't oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, or shed innocent blood. There's an if then. And then again, in eight, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. And then here's an interesting thing. And we still struggle with this in our day in Christianity. It's like, okay, so it's faith. It's the words we say. Yay. But Jeremiah says, will you still, will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, go after other gods, and then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered only to go on doing these abominations. And it is quite clear to me as I read this, and I'll put it in Jeremiah's words, this flashes forward to 12 too, you are near in the mouth and far from their heart, is that this, this is not okay, that, that behavior matters. It's like the book of James. James goes on and is like, yeah, you can say you have faith. I can show you mine. Mm-hmm. And this has been a problem way back here to this day to where the, the faith that we claim to have should actually change the things in our life. It's not, hey, I'll say this on the weekend in church, and then during the week, I live a totally different life. You know, we've seen it. It's like God sees not just our Facebook pages. He sees our life. Mm-hmm. And we may be able to fool other people with the good words that we say. It's like, oh, I've got good theology. I can say all the things. But then our life goes out and goes in a totally different direction. And Jeremiah is saying, and God is saying through him, this is not okay. Yeah, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't be, expect that you're going to go out and and live this life and do all these awful things that you've specifically been told not to do, and just show up to church, so to speak, and claim this salvation. Oh, I'm, you know, stand there with your hand in the air and oh, I'm saved, I'm saved. Well, are you? Hmm, are you really? Because your life doesn't show that you're saved. It's a, it, you know. It's not, well, uh, but by their fruit, you will know them. I mean, that's yeah. kind of, a, and that's yeah. not up to us to judge, but it's there. Right. Exactly. Well, wait a minute. There's, there is, there is that interesting balance of we're not called to evaluate somebody else's salvation, but over and over, Paul tells us in the new Testament that we are in fact to judge behavior. Oh Yeah. Oh yeah, and this is this is this is a thing that I struggle with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, wow. I mean, like, at what point do we? And Jeremiah is doing it right here. He's like, no, I can see you're not doing it. You're saying the things because I hear you say it, but I see you doing these other things. It's not okay, mm-hmm. and it is a difficult thing for me. And I and I know that I'm not the only one who struggles with this. Is at what point do you call things out? At what point do you say, well, man, maybe people just a different background, different using different words. Maybe they're like 
struggling with this thing and they don't want to be doing it, or maybe I think it's a problem, but it's not. I don't have an answer for that. But the reason that I struggle with it is because it's it's pointed out here that like, look, how you these things matter. And what role are we called to step in and say something? You know, Jeremiah struggles with this. He's like, I don't want to say this, but it's burning within me. You know, I got to get it out. And and yet. Where do we say, OK, I'm going to leave that to God to handle there is that there's a delicate balance and there's a line there where you have to know how far you can go to say the thing you're doing is bad, but then you have to be able to stop before you start saying, and you're a bad person. Does that make sense? You know, because we don't always know why a person does what they do. We don't know what has motivated them into what they do. We don't know what has been in their past that has brought them to doing these things. So, you're doing a bad thing is different than you're a bad person. True. And we've, we've really got to figure out when to, when to stop, when, when to stop equating the behavior with the person. I think that one of the tricks of this is to stop at what is outwardly visible. So like, like what you said, Eric, like, you know, you you call the behavior, but you don't necessarily call that person salvation, right? You're not calling the state of their soul, you're calling their behavior. And I think that I think that nowadays one of the points that has become blurry is that if somebody disagrees with my behavior, they're questioning my value as a human. You know, that's a fairly common theme nowadays. Like, I feel like this, and because I feel like this, I will act like this. And if you don't like my behavior, you're judging me as a person, right? I I take your opinion of my behavior, and I internalize it, and I am offended, and you cannot offend me. Or vice versa. I see somebody's behavior. I don't like it. Where's the line between I don't like it and it's inappropriate, right? So I think that that internal-external line has become blurred in modern society I, I obviously i don't know what it was like in jeremiah's time but i know what it looked i know what it it takes some very recognizable forms now and i remember <laughs> i very i very seldom make allusions to things that i've seen on tv so matt be proud of me here <laughs> um but i saw an interview with a country singer once and she was talking about it's like a million years ago but this really stuck in my head and she was talking about she was in a long-term marriage and the they had bought a piece of property and they were going to build a house. Like she was in the early stages of her career, but things were starting to go well and they were starting to have enough money to, instead of living in an apartment, they could buy a house and they could build. So they're on this blank piece of property and they're pacing out their ideas for a house, right? Now, anybody who's married has, and knows that these kinds of conversations can get a little bit sort of cantankerous, right? And so here's, and so basically the gist of the conversation is this. They're looking, they're standing there on the land. It's a bright, sunny day. They're looking around to where the sun is, like which, wh what angles of the house are going to get sunlight. And she says, well, I would like to have, I think the bedroom should be on this side of the house. I would love to have early morning sun just pouring in some big windows. And he says, well, Basically, hell no. 
I want to be able to sleep, right? And even though these people love each other, and even though they're married, and they've committed to sharing their lives together and working as a team, they nearly come to blows over a house that doesn't exist, hmm. standing on this piece of property until they are shouting at, at each other. And she shouts at him, well, maybe we should just get a divorce then if you don't like blah, blah, blah. And he says, I'm not saying I want a divorce. I'm saying I want the bedroom on this side of the house, <laughs> right? And so out of the two of them, she blurred that internal external line and maybe the whole relationship needs to be dissolved because they disagree on this external thing. He, even in the heat of battle, is able to maintain his perspective. And he says to her, the marriage isn't the issue. I'm just disagreeing with you on where we want the bedroom, right? And I think that I've, I've seen this play out so many ways, spiritually, socially, politically, socioeconomically. Like there's all these different ways where we look, we see, we judge, and we're ready to do battle. And I'm with you, Eric. I struggle to know when that, when that line is. Like, where's the difference when I speak up or when I let let you pass by doing what you do? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. But it's it's a fascinating conundrum. You know, we know that, you know, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. We know that we can't judge people's internal motives. But I do think there's a point. We see it in Jeremiah. And yes, we see it in James. There is a time and a place to make a call. Where to make that call is the trick, I think. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough for us as people. Then we have that we we're, we're we're tempted to just keep our mouths shut. Uh, or but open I don't, it at every opportunity. Or or open it. Yeah, I mean either yeah. way, you know. I, I, yeah, you could see either way. You either want to speak up or you just want to or you just want to shut up. And, and when is and when is God when is God telling you to speak up and when is God telling you to be quiet and I just you know that's the kind of thing that I've resorted to over the years is like if I see something kind of that's inflammatory to me happening I will I will keep my mouth shut and I will pause and I will say do I speak up because my right. internal urge to speak up is not necessarily a a good gauge Mhm Yeah Eh, I don't know. My two cents. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, a little, another thing gets kind of thrown into the mix here, though. God is say he says in verse 16, don't pray for these people or make intercession for them. And I think that's an interesting thought, too, because, I mean, okay, one, I mean, we're, 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 we should be slow to, to throw that judgment at people. But here God is saying, don't even pray for these people anymore. They're, they work so hard for their false worship. And they just provoke themselves to shame, it says. But I don't know. That's that is a verse I, I was struggling with as I was reading it. Don't don't pray for these people. Don't don't try to put up any intercession for them. I mean, isn't that what we get called to do a lot of times? And God's saying, nope, not this time. I, I would say that that in this context, in the context of chapter seven, is a follow up to verse 13 where God says, while you were doing all these things, declares the Lord, I spoke to you again and again, but you did not listen. I called you, but you did not answer. All right. Mm -hmm. So I think the point in this context is that efforts were already made. God already did his thing, his God thing, where he reaches and reaches and reaches out and tries to woo us back into his arms. They, they ignored him. And so we're, we're past that point now. I, I think that that's all it's saying. 
-hmm. I don't think that that's a blanket statement. I think that's a here and now statement. Yeah. 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 And and here's the thing. God says these kinds of things. It seems like more often than we would expect. And then immediately he's like, okay, now we're going to, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep calling. Because here's, here's the thing is if Jeremiah ended right here, we would know that was serious. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And it doesn't, it just keeps going and it's keeps going. They're like, okay, I said I was done, but I'm not done. And this is the thing that people struggle with, with God. And I think Judah, this is going to be one of the reasons why they're having a hard time is because they feel like, well, he, you know, he's counted to 10 so many times (laughs) and it didn't happen. And yet, and yet in history, they have the evidence of the flood. They have the more recent evidence of the Northern Kingdom being taken into captivity. And so not to confuse, and people to this day confuse God's mercy with passivity or, you know, uh, condoning or ignoring. Mm-hmm. And that or is not, or maybe not knowing the true nature of God. Yeah. That he's going to continuously be you know, knocking at the door of your heart, you just got to let him in. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that there's this, we could get into this bogging down of how God is, is he patient? Is he, is he indulgent? Is he mean? Is he uh, gracious? Is he, and I think we should flash back to Job, where God kind of shows up and says, you, you don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, and I think we should say, well, I don't understand how this works, but God is very patient and he wants me to turn. And so uh, we should turn. Mm-hmm. We should we should, in fact, amend our ways, both that they should have and we should. Um, and this is God is I mean, this is serious stuff here. He, he in verse 31. I don't know if you guys we, I'm sure you noticed this is mm-hmm. that they're building high places in Topeth the valley, valley of the son of Hinoam, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, yeah. which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. This is a flashback to um, to Jephthah in uh, Judges 11, where he says, I'll sacrifice my daughter. And yeah. this is before God said, I don't want this. And right here, it's just flat out, look, this is not part of what I ever, ever wanted. Right. So these these people here are sliding sideways in virtually every conceivable way. Economic, mm-hmm. worship-wise, we get into a really interesting metaphor in the beginning of chapter 8. Just oppression, b- business, personal life, moral life, they are just, they are off the rails in pretty much every way. Yeah, we can step into uh, chapter 8 here. It talks about how the bones of the leaders of Judah are going to be brought out and spread before the sun and the moon and all the hosts of heaven. Had to stop and think about that and read some of the other notes in the Bible there uh, that were in my the footnotes. Um, this is this is because they had been these priests and leaders. They had been worshiping all of these other gods. They, they it's in, interestingly sometimes these other gods are known as the host of heaven. There's other places in the Bible where the host of heaven is like God's armies of angels, um, but. When they're talking about this host of heaven now, they're talking about all of these other false gods, these sun gods, these moon gods, these, you know, 
all these other things. And well, we're going to take their stuff out and we are going to just spread this out. We're going to spread you out right in front of them. All these things you've been worshiping and you're just going to be left to those elements. It's wow. interesting that while they're doing this, and we've seen this over and over, they they incorporate the worship of Jehovah with this. Mm-hmm. It isn't like they just say, well, there's no God at all. Forget about that. They say, well, we'll do a little bit of this and a little bit of this. And God's mm-hmm. like, nope, that's not okay. It's, it's, I'm, I am the one and there are no others. This goes back to the Ten Commandments. And um, they, they, ne- they kind of baptized their, their heathen worship and just incorporated it. Yeah into the other and um god is not okay with that yeah sometimes they're literally worshiping other gods and at other times they're just taking the elements of worship from those other gods and trying to apply them to the one true god and god's Mm -hmm. like nope that's not cool so it took me a minute to find this it's psalm 50 is what i was after in my head it was psalm 52 like two or three and i was like and i finally found it it's in psalm 50 there's this passage um psalm 50 starting uh 16 through 21 to the wicked person god says what right have you to recite my laws or take up or take my covenant on your lips you hate my instruction and cast my words behind you when you see a thief you join with him you throw in your lot with adulterers You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue to deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. When you did these things and I kept silent, you thought that I was exactly like you. But now I arraign you and set my accusations before you. So this passage has always stood out to me as God, to to use New Testament phrasing allowing the wheat to grow with the tares mm-hmm. and i don't think god ever stops trying to reach people but i don't think that he goes into their life and babysits them into his arms i think we're expected to use our own intelligence and our freedom of choice you know the relationship that we are invited to is voluntary and he is not going to bludgeon us into loving him so when when I see these, like him calling it out and calling it out and calling it out and then hitting his limit, right? Mm-hmm. That I I see that as the outplay of frustrated love and patience and mercy. And and if 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 it's a dilemma for God, it's obviously a dilemma for us like we don't even have his unlimited perspective on people their thoughts their intentions their motive their history we don't even have that so it's no wonder we struggle with some of this stuff like when do i take action when do i be quiet when do i speak up when do i you know when do i go to battle when do i sit down right and let the world pass by me Mm -hmm. i mean god knows everything about us and he makes perfect choices and yet even he sometimes speaks up and other times sits down and be quiet. And the foolish humans who insist on doing evil the entire time, when God is not actively reprimanding them, he says right here, when you did these things and I kept silent, you thought I was exactly like you. But that Mm. is utter foolishness 
if we can take a step back out of our pattern of behavior right here and look at the principles and the bigger picture of what God instructs. Anyway, mm -hmm. I just that's an that's an interesting passage to me, and it seems like it kind of applies here with what we're reading about in Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it is a really great point to continue to point out that I don't know. We've read it in some places. Our ways are not God's ways, and mm. yeah, he, he he's being quiet right now. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's okay with what's happening. The standards haven't changed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he might be quiet because he's just letting you, he's going to let you learn a little lesson here. He might be quiet because because uh, he's just stepping back and going, okay, here you go. Whatever, you know, whatever you, whatever you want. We'll let, we'll let it go for a little bit. Here you go. And, and, uh, and, and if that's not a shining example of our relationship with God is nothing but free will, he remains consistent. His wants... Yeah. For us, remain consistent. It's us who sort of vacillate horribly. Yeah, he could be constantly, constantly, constantly trying to push, push, push. No, go this way. No, go this way. No, go this way. But instead, it's like he's he, he's he'll just stop and he'll call us. But then sometimes he just lets us go. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah. I don't I don't mean to drag this down and make yeah. it take forever. I just I just oh. that was in my head, and then I couldn't find the dumb thing when I went looking for it. I found yeah. it. Yep. Well, he says they hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. No one has repented uh, like this in verse 7 of chapter 8. Even the birds know what to do. He talks about all these different <laughs> birds. Even they know what to do, but not my people. And so I got two things out of that, out of that there. I mean, one, okay, you people are being stupid. The birds are, you know, even even the birds are smarter than you people with this right now. But he does continue to call them my people. I thought that was interesting where they are going to have this. They got to have this correction. They are going to see these calamities, but God is still referring to them closely and holding them tightly as his people. And, and so that, that was um, I found that to be a, a little comforting even through this where he is still claiming them. He says, how can you say we are wise? false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood says they weren't even ashamed about it and all and the what things was that, that we read earlier they don't even know how to blush yeah yeah they're not do they know what they're doing is wrong kind of sounds like yeah they know do they care no no i put in my notes there too that when i saw the the look at the false pen of the scribes they work certain falsehood I just kept thinking about social media and the media aspect of media in our day and age. What? Everything's good there. You know what I mean? <laughs> but really, it's like how this really speaks to our time right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's all over. It's all over. Group the place. All over the place. Everybody's got their own opinions. Yeah. Everybody's got opinions. Well, it's and not just that. Right just... And yours is wrong because I think mine. Well, there's, yeah. there's, there's that, but then it's interesting, flash forward to 10, uh, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From mm -hmm. prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. I listened to a podcast this uh, week or two ago, you mentioned social media, and there was a fellow, cannot remember his name, I apologize, who was kind of known as the father of um, fake news, and they interviewed him, and he would write these outlandish articles that were complete and total fabrications. 
for the sole purpose. They said, well, why are you doing this for political ends? Because they thought, oh, he's trying to influence the election. You know, this blah, 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 blah. He's like, no, I found a section of people who would click on stuff and forward it and hit my website. And I found out I could make a ton of money. I think it was $30,000 a month mm-hmm. from advertisers. I didn't care about the politics. Don't care at all. I was just making a ton of money by getting people to just flow through and forward this stuff. And it is it is very an unfortunate thing that it goes down to. I mean, and I guess if there's any relief in it, I don't know if it's relief, is that this is a really, really old problem mm-hmm. right here. The lying pen of scribes. You greedy for unjust gain. Like, I don't know, were they selling DVD programs back then? And you could subscribe today. I I don't know how they did it, but the principles of what we do and how we do it really haven't changed. Yep. Yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Solomon. I completely agree with that. A few years ago, I worked freelance for a few years, and one of my most fascinating writing projects was a a presentation I did that I put together for uh, like a big international convention on on uh, business ethics and business law, and I did an entire segment on fake news. And I tracked it all the way back to its origins and why they did it, you know, like their motivations. And and I found exactly exactly what Eric was saying. It was like, no, I, I don't care. I don't care what you think about this, that or the other. Mm. I, I care about the money it puts in my pocket. And so I just yeah. I made up things that seemed like people would believe it. And I put it out there and I, you know, and sure enough, people clicked on it and followed it. And you should see the checks I get every month. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, the people, so a lot of people are so quick to want to, sh- to spread that stuff that even, even sometimes in that social media, the stuff that is clearly satire and they'll even tell you it's satire. If yep. you'll take the time to, to see, you know, who's, who's putting it down, but mm-hmm. people will, will, will share it as fact and they'll totally believe it and they'll spread it as fact. And you follow down far enough and you go to the site and it's like, no, this is satire. We're making a joke, you know, it, and sometimes, I, and this is really important, is, is spiritual things. It doesn't require a, a lot of digging and a lot of effort. Sometimes just you just look at the source. Who published it? Oh, well, okay, that's supposed to be a joke. Yeah. And spiritually, I mean, I feel sorry for these people. We read through, um, what was it, Josiah's high priest. It's like, look what I found. It's the book of the law. And you're like, what? You guys didn't even have the book of the law? You didn't even know this stuff? Mm. is in in those situations if i i feel genuinely sorry for the people because how were they supposed to know right yeah. they didn't they didn't have opportunity but here jeremiah is preaching to these people so they have opportunity in our day and age our year right now we have the opportunity to open up our bibles to read these things to look at these things and say now what is god saying to me today right now and i think we have this opportunity to Check things out. And I hope that, you know, whoever's listening to this, you're reading through Jeremiah. Like, are we making this stuff up? Or are we, like, really um, reflecting on what's said here? And we have an opportunity. We have an obligation to the, to the story of the ten virgins. They had opportunity to go get that oil in advance. Some did, some didn't. There's mm-hmm. a reason that that story is told. And that is the reason that story is told. 
Um, I think that in, in different periods of, of history, like we've said a couple of times today, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Human nature is human nature. Fallen human nature is gross. And I think there have been periods in time where people suffered from lack of information. If you think about the Dark Ages, you know, the Bibles are all in Latin and they're chained to the walls and only the priests are allowed to read them. And it's like, oh, my goodness. And then there's other times where specifically contrived disinformation is part of the problem. You know, and I mean, you you fast forward to our modern era, you know, knowledge increasing and men running to and fro and man, the Internet is out there and it'll feed you. It'll feed you anything you want to hear. And and yet we all have a Bible in our own possession. Mm-hmm. Go read it. You know what I mean? Just just like they're they're Even the birds know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you can boil it down, if you can boil it down to its bones, it's not actually complicated. It just seems complicated because the world is complicated. Yeah. As we get into chapter nine, Jeremiah is mourning for what is happening here. But part of what he says here is is God speaking through him through deceit. They refuse to know me. So it's, it's, you know, it's continuing on a bit here that they have refused because they have been deceived, but then God is saying, I'm going to refine them. Now, why would you refine something? It's because you still see something of value. Uh, you know, when you get gold ore, you don't have pure gold, but you can see that there's something in there worth extracting. And so God is going to refine these people. But he does say, and I guess this is probably the refining process in this case, because they've forsaken my law and they walk according to their own hearts. And after the bales says, I'm going to scatter them. They're going to, some of them are going to be scattered to the Gentiles. Some of them are going to be consumed by the sword. Yeah. Jeremiah nine, I, I mentioned one through 22 is virtually no poetic uh, shine on what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Right. It is, it is going to be war and destruction and uh, sorrow and death. And this is what is going to happen. And then, I mean, in various ways, he says that. Um, And then 23 through the end is kind of like, I mean, he could have just ended the book right here in a way, because he really sums up some things that have, value for us today you i'm sure you guys probably marked that too yeah Mm -hmm. oh yeah oh yeah in fact i've got 23 through 24 just written out here period and um well just before that verse 19 says their their sorrow because the land is lost so you know it's like they haven't they haven't learned the lesson here they're sorrow sorry because of the stuff they're losing and so it goes into this. Um, I'll just kind of read. I'm going to read it because I think it's. I just think it was really good. In verse, starting in verse 23, thus says the Lord: Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this: that he understands and knows me. That. I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. It's not any of those trappings that we bring to the table that God is at all interested in. In fact, we we sort of jumped over a part here in a, in a previous chapter. But he was like, you know, even when I brought your people out of Israel, I didn't instruct them about, about uh, sacrifices. Because that wasn't—that's not what I'm interested in. 
I'm not interested in your stuff. I'm interested in how you act to people. I'm interested in the your way heart. you, the, the, you're in your hearts. I'm interested in your hearts. I'm interested in you as a person. I am interested in seeing uh, you do these things that I've told you that I want to do. But in this case, he's not talking about sacrifices. He's talking about life. He's talking about generally being a decent person and doing good things. Uh, the loving kindness, good judgment, righteousness. This is the stuff that he values. This is what he wants to see. Could care less about a sacrifice. Could care less about, about um, you know, burning the right incense and, and this kind of thing. That's not what he's interested at all in, at all. There's lessons there, lessons that he wants us to take away from it, but that's not the point of what he's been trying to get across. Yeah. So he mentions the uncircumcised heart in uh, yes. verse 25 mm -hmm. and 26, and that's picked up in Romans 28 and 29. If we wonder, like, why wow, haven't we read this before? It's like, yeah, exactly. It's This is echoed where Paul is saying, this is God's not interested in merely the outside things. Now, I think when our heart is right, the right things come out of our lives. Yes. Those are inseparable, but God, through both Paul and Jeremiah, is saying you have to do the heart first, then the other things happen. Because if you don't have the heart, if you don't have the relationship, the rest of the stuff gets shipwrecked. And I, I noted um, for this thing about where He's, he, he, he runs through it here in Jeremiah 23. You, you shouldn't be trusting in wisdom or in might or in riches. So basically, whether it's money or military or wisdom, it's like, that's not going to cut it. None of that does it for me. It's relationship. It says that he understands and knows me, which echoes two very important things we've mentioned before. It's Matthew 7, 23 and Matthew 25, 12. And both of those are where people show up and say, didn't we do all the things? And this is at the second coming. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are. You and I don't have a relationship. And that's a big deal. And we tend to think like, oh, the Jesus of the New Testament is all about relationship and heart and so on. But the Old Testament, God, like, no, this is straight up Old Testament. And it is straight up. Get your heart right. Do, do the heart things, that's what I want. So I'm just pointing out that those, that, I had a friend of mine who said, you know, the only page in the Bible that really shouldn't belong is the blank one between the Old and New Testaments. Right. Because it's really the same story, the same thing. Um, yeah, we, we mentioned earlier the parable of the ten virgins. They all had the same information. They were all waiting for the same thing. And they all knew what was needed. And some of them had what they needed to complete the wait. And others did not. And, uh, you know, it was not something that can be shared. You're either prepared or you're not. And that is all you. And so then the others, they're like, oh, shoot, we need, you know, we need oil. And so they go charging into town and they get the oil. And then they then they rush to the place where the where the wedding is happening. And they're pounding on the door. Let us in. Let us in. I don't I don't know who you are. I don't know who you are. Yeah, that seems to be a lot of the message being given here, too, is that you should know these things. You sh you've had plenty of opportunity to learn these things. In fact, these things have been taught to you over, over and over and over. 
unfortunately, some of the leaders were were giving out you know some false information. But I mean, we're talking about a God who's he's he doesn't hide this. He's not hiding stuff from us. He he's always been open about what he wants. Uh, I think. I mean, you could talk to atheists today and they'll be like, yeah, I know the I know the right way to treat a person. I know the right way to 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 to, you know, conduct business so that I'm not cheating somebody. I know better than to than to physically attack a person. I know better than to emotionally tear somebody down. You know, these are things that God has placed in our hearts and we ought to know better. But we sometimes in our weird reasoning go the opposite direction and go that way of self that Tracy points out so often. You know, we uh, we think about what we want. We think about what I, you know, what do I want right now? Heck with the next person. Um, in fact, if I can, if I can get something from them, I'm going to take it. Uh, and these are the kind of things that God is saying, no, 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 you, you should know better. You should know better than this. You do know better than this. And you're choosing, you're choosing not to, you're not to listen. You're choosing not to follow those, those ways. And, and you, in, in that you are not remembering who I am. You're not getting to know me. And, uh, Don't you think, though, that when we see this kind of garbage going on in front of us, which, which it does all the time in a million different flavors, don't you think that God's training our characters like mm-hmm. through through the continual outplay of sin around us and the ugly, ugly things that it does to humanity as a whole, you know, hu- humans as as groups and, and also to individuals like I, you know, I'm, I'm serious, like the longer the earth goes on, the more repulsed I am. And the more I just want to like, nope, just, you know, I'm just going to go over here. I'm going to hang on to Jesus' feet and I'm just going to sit here. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what else to do. The rest of it is too complex. I can't keep up. I don't know how to judge it. I don't like the barrage of conflicting information that's trying to be pounded into my head by everybody's opinions. I'm just going to go over here and hang on to Jesus' feet. And mm-hmm. I just, I, mm, not great yeah. nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. I think, uh. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's a, that's kind of what's even being said here is when God is saying he's going to refine he's going to refine the people. We're going to see we're going to see these things that are that are bad. And we're going to you know ideally we want to be we want to move away from them. We want to do the things we know are right. And so often we we do know they're right. We just got this really bad knack of actually of of not doing <laughs> not doing what what we know is right. I think that'll be our time this week. Next week, we'll be reading Jeremiah chapters 10 through 13. While you are waiting for that, you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. You can reach out to us uh, on Facebook. Make sure you share the podcast with your friends and family and neighbors. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so we reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking again next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.